But we're in symbols, and so we've been talking a lot about symbols. You got symbols up here. We got bread, you got water, and we talked about rock, we talked about sight, we talked about breath. Before I left, I talked about breath. And all these are symbols that point to something that's deeper in Scripture. And we, Jesus is the bread of life. Guess what? Jesus is the Word of God. And also, he said to eat my flesh. Remember the disciples, like, I'm done. Like, all but 12 says, I'm out of here. You want me to eat your flesh. What he was saying is, I want you to eat some bread. I want you to eat the Word of God. And they didn't get it. Why? Because their eyes weren't open to spiritual things. Their ears weren't open to spiritual things. They just wanted the benefits of being following Jesus Christ without going into the depths of knowing what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let that sit for a second. Because whenever you understand that he's the water, he cleanses from the inside, and he changes what we look like on the outside. The world focuses on how can I change my appearance on the outside so hopefully people will think I changed on the inside too, right? But Jesus has got grace and he's got mercy and he's got truth and he's got love and he wants to clean, cleanse us. He wants to wash us with the water of his word. In fact, Ephesians tells us that he committed his life. He gave his life so that he could wash us with the word. That's pretty powerful. So we're talking about symbols. I'm going to break this. I'm going to take this in a whole other place. I needed to spend about six weeks explaining, giving you some ideas of symbols so that I can then open your mind and see and show you, hey, there's a lot more symbols in Scripture. There's a reason to get back into Scripture. There's a lot more to this than what you could ever imagine, and it's endless, and it's alive. So we tend to think that we are humans having spiritual experiences, right? We always think, man, that was a great. I've gone deep spiritually. But in reality, we are spirits having human experiences, I want you to think from a different place because I want you to think from who you really are. You really are spirit. Your, your, body, your body is not likely to really uh, benefit you much in heaven, but your spirit being there is going to be very powerful, powerful. I talk about our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, right? It's almost like a software that God has given us to work with, but that's not who I am. I'm a son of God. The spirit of Nathan is the son of God. The spirit of Ali is a daughter of God. The spirit of Bonita is a daughter of God, and that's who she is. And God's given her the software of her soul to, to wrestle with and work with, to work through. But that son, that daughtership must be over everything, soul and body. Okay? Because then when we're in alignment with the Holy Spirit, our spirit's connected. And that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through our spirit. And he's trying to cleanse our soul and it's going to bear fruit in our body, okay? So we are, we are spiritual people having a human experience, and I thought about this analogy. Uh, Allie and I were down in the Patagonia. We got to go to Chile last week, last two weeks, and when we were driving through the Patagonia, we had to hit the brakes because a band of wild horses came running by, big, beautiful horses. Here we call them Mustangs, uh, but a band of wild horses came by, and it's kind of like that. When our spirit rests in our body, we get, it kind of... It's like wrestling a wild horse down in our soul and trying to get us into alignment with what God's doing, and our soul's trying to conflict with everything the Spirit of God wants to do, and we're trying to wrestle ourselves into alignment so we can conform to the image of God, right? And it's a strong picture, but it's the reality, because we're wild. And that's a good thing, especially men. We're wild. We love to be out in the wild, and that's great. We should be. But boy, we need to be in the wild, out in the wild, surrender to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, so we're doing things in the wild His way and 
It, life never gets more wild and free when we're under the power and the presence of the Holy God and we're changing the world around us. That is amazing to get to. So we are spirits. And remember, the Bible, the Bible is a spiritual book. This is a spiritual book written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings. This, this was written to us. It was authored by one. It was written by 40, authored by one to you and I so that we know how to live this wild and free life. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to know. I'm going to take you, and actually the Bible says that the natural man, the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. The natural, your GQ magazine can't, Cosmopolitan cannot interpret and translate the Word of God. Why? Because those are natural people with natural understandings, and all they can do is give you a natural thought about what the Word of God truly says. And you'll be misconstrued, and you'll be strayed. And in fact, there's a lot of people online that pose as theologians, but they're either they're agnostics, or they have no understanding of God whatsoever, and they're, they're, they're selling you things from a natural perspective. So point number one in this is the Bible is full of spiritual symbols. I want you to get that. If we're going to move forward, you've got to understand the Bible is just jam-packed full. It's more than these few things of spiritual symbols all throughout. And I'm just going to, I'm going to touch down on some, and I'm going to open you up to say, wow, I need to open my spiritual eyes and ears up a little bit more. But, so hold on, I'm going to move fast. You know how I do. But we recorded this. We have it on podcast, so you can go back and listen to it about 10 times. Or Julie's going to be Facebook living on the 1045 service, and then you can go back and watch that anytime you want through our Facebook page. In fact, I work really hard to bring you, you guys a great message. We as pastors work really hard to give you guys good leadership development, things that you can use in your everyday life. And we would appreciate it if you would just bring up what God is doing in your life in conversation throughout the week. And if God is not doing anything in your life, fill out this response card, and we'll, we'll make sure God starts doing some things in your life so we can start connecting a little bit, all right? And the other thing is maybe go on Facebook and just share. Just click on your, on your page. People will think you're holy. You just share Facebook Live what with the message of each Sunday, and you'll, you'll, you'll look really righteous, all right? So you can do that for me. Would y'all do that for me? Okay, a no response is a no, so I'm just going to go with the yeses. <laughs> <laughs> is a yes is okay here we go psalms 105 40 through 41 says the people asked i'm just going to bring some things back to memory and he brought quail he satisfied them with the bread of heaven and he opened the rock and water gushed out and it ran in dry places like a river Remember, the Bible interprets itself. I'm not going to give you my interpretation. I'm not going to give you hocus pocus. I'm going to take strictly from the Bible, and I'm going to show you how the Bible is interpreting itself, and I'm going to show you how you can do this. I'm just handing you spiritual tools today, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and show, I'm going to show you the three baptisms right here in this verse right here. So I'm going to show you symbolism. And it says, and all were, all were baptized into Moses. Who was Moses? God's, the deliverer of God's people. Therefore, Moses is a symbol of a deliverer. Who's our deliverer? Jesus Christ. Thank you. You're starting to get it. In the cloud, where's the cloud? The cloud would lead them by day in a fire by night. Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit of God. So in the cloud and then in, in the sea. 
The sea is a picture, a symbol of water. So here you see the baptism of blood. That's when we come to Jesus Christ, our deliverer. We get, blood, we get washed by the blood of Jesus, and he makes us white as snow. Scripture tells us that. And then you hear you have the cloud, which is the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, at some point, each and every one of you will find an experience where you're baptized. It's a different experience than the blood where you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then, then also, there is the baptism of water. There you see it right there. And those two can come in any particular, they, they don't come in any particular order. They can come one after the other, the Holy Spirit baptism or the water baptism. Some denominations say, no, you have to be water baptized, then you can only be, then you can be uh, Holy Spirit baptized, but that's not the truth. And some others say it the other way around. God, God's not stuck in that box, okay? You do need to get washed by the blood, then God can choose with your, your openness for the Holy Spirit baptism, whenever that happens, it could be a microsecond after you come to Jesus, and then there's the water baptism, and that one's obvious. In fact, the Holy Spirit baptism in your life is obvious, too. All right, good deal. We're, we're on the same page. But he says, all ate the same spiritual food. Well, wait a minute. Where did we, where, where did we start talking about spiritual things? Spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. Must be referring to the water. And for they drank of that spiritual rock, remember that rock that followed them through the wilderness. Why is this rock following me every, following the Hebrews everywhere that they go? It says it right here, and that rock was Christ. Their source, their strength, what they, their resource was Christ. All spiritual things. You guys starting to see some symbolism? Starting to see it now? Here's more. Revelation 11.8 says, And their, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, get this, where also our Lord was crucified. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. God is saying spiritually there's meanings in the spiritual realm for Sodom and Egypt the natural man wouldn't understand because the place of the skull, Golgotha, is nowhere near Sodom nor Egypt, but he must be saying some parabolic language to show us, hey, there's deeper things, there's deeper truths than this than what the natural man can understand. There's more. God says, so Luke 10, 10 17 through 20 Remember, Jesus sent out the 70 disciples, and he says, here, I'm giving you authority. Boom, go, go out and do some things. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, really? As if he's surprised. No, he doesn't. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Not really impressed. He says, behold, I give you authority to tramp on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's a couple of things there. I want you to see that the fact that your name is written in heaven, if your name is written in heaven, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, these all, all these attributes are a byproduct of being of nearness with God. First, but I want to see you in this enveloping context. I want to show you rather what he's really talking about when he talks about serpents, serpents and scorpions, okay? Sorry, allergies have been on me for a month now. When we're talking about serpents, so look at the context. This is an exegetical extraction, 
exegetical extraction. So look in the context of scorpions and serpents, and what is he talking about in the context? Well, he starts it with Satan, and then he says, Behold, I have given you authority to trample over these serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of, who is he talking about? The enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits... So he's taking the spirit's enemy, Satan, and he's saying, here, I'm not worried about serpents and scorpions. So who are the serpents and scorpions? The demonic realm, the demonic spirits. He's applying this picture symbolism of, of scorpions and serpents, and he's saying, listen, these are evil. These are unclean spirits. This is, this is of Satan. And he's sitting here showing us, hey, I'm showing you right now that serpents and scorpions... Are, have the power of the enemy behind them, and do not be worried because you are not subject to these spirits. In fact, these, these spirits are subject to you, and you have authority over them. Look at this. See, see he says, so they, these are serpents and scorpions are symbols. And again, this is one book written by 40 people, but it's authored by one being. And I'm wondering I'm wondering how this looks if we were to start in Genesis looking for, looking for symbols, or we went to Jeremiah, or we went to Ezekiel, or we went to Revelation, or we went to Mark. It, it, what would we find? What would look, look at Luke 10, 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of, God, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What things? From the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. This is why when you start talking about demons, those who think they're highly intellectual start saying, listen, that stuff is not real. Those are just stories that the Bible has put in there to make you feel afraid, to manipulate you. Uh, this, is not, this is not the truth. However, Jesus clearly refers right here himself to demonic spirits, and he says, he refers to them as serpents and scorpions. I want you to track with this a little bit because all throughout Scripture, God gives you understandings so that you can understand his spiritual things. What's happening right now is God is replacing a natural noun for a spiritual noun. I'm not going to get into a deep English conversation, but the noun of serpent and scorpion is being replaced with the noun of unclean spirits or demonic spirits or evil. So track with that. And what you can do is literally go through all scripture and where you see this word scorpion or serpent, your mind immediately goes, well, I wonder if demonic spirits apply to this situation right here in a completely different area of scripture. Let me show you. Revelations 9, 3, 3 and 4 says, Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, do your home scorpions have any power over you that you don't give them when you start screaming like a girl and running from them? <laughs> no. Is he talking about literal scorpions? No. Are scorpions going to emerge, a bunch of scorpions, and start trying to attack people because they're so great and so huge? No. He's talking about the demonic presence that's here on earth, and he's given us clear understanding for those who are, have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears open so that they can see the deeper things in God's words. And look what he says. As, as the scorpions have, have, have the earth, and on the earth have power. 
They were commanded not to harm, get this, the grass of the earth, check grass, or the any green thing or any tree. But only, only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Look at this. He said, you cannot harm any green thing. You cannot harm any grass. You cannot harm any tree. I'm going to let that sit for a minute because it needs to, because I want you to think about where else can we find those con- that context in Scripture. They cannot harm... The- Psalms 1 says this, that a man who delights himself in the Word, who meditates on it, meditates on the Word, he is like a planted near living And so whenever the end times, whenever these serpents and locusts are released, they can harm a man who does not have the seal of God on his forehead. But when it comes to a man or a woman who has been meditating on the word of God, they cannot harm them. Woo, I need to go do some meditating on the word of God because I can tell you right now, I don't want any demonic force harming me, whether it's now or in the times to come. Scripture tells us we are in the end times. Number two, sheep have an enemy. You need to know life is not all hunky-dory. It's not always rainbows, butterflies, and honey butter chicken biscuits. (laughs) You have an enemy. Psalm 103 says, 103. Verse 3 says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I bet many of you already knew if I talked about sheep, you'd be talking about people. So, symbol here is sheep mean people. Ezekiel 34, 1, 2 says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord to God to, God, to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock. Who are the shepherds? They're not people out in the fields. They're the spiritual leaders. They were the priests. Modern day, we could say they're the pastors. Who are the flocks? Those are the people. Those are the people that the shepherds are supposed to be leading. Those are the, those are the people that the priests or the pastors, the spiritual leaders in general, are supposed to be leading. And what was happening, the priests were, had no problem learning the Torah and filling themselves spiritually with the Word of God. But when it came to confronting people with the truth in love and delivering the Word of God, they would rather, they would rather take money and take advance and have socioeconomic status and be in good statutes by not saying truth to them, by not feeding them as they would to just go ahead and deliver the Word of God and do what they're called to do. Because sometimes we think just accepting everything and just love everybody for everything that they are is actually the way to love people. Now, it starts... It starts there, but if we're not delivering people the truth, we're harming them. We're hurting people around us if we're not willing to tell them the truth of God's word in love. And this is what was going on. And so they weren't feeding the people. They were just getting fat on the word of God. Look at this. So shepherds are spiritual leaders. Flocks are people. The other passage says sheep mean people. Sheep mean, means people. Shepherds means pastors and priests. There's another symbol that you need to know and understand about the world around us too. Ezekiel 34, 5, just a few passages later, 
So it says this, so they were scattered because there was no spiritual leader that was willing to tell them the truth, and they became food. The people, the flocks, became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Now, sheep mean people. Shepherds mean pastors or priests, spiritual leaders. Uh, The beasts of the field don't mean lions and tigers. The, pe- the people weren't dispersing and scattered, and all of a sudden a bunch of lions and tigers came out of the woods and they started eating them. That, that's not what he's talking about. There may have been lions and tigers out there, but that's not what he's talking about right here. Beasts in the fields, they're talking about demonic spirits. So when we're not being delivered the Word of God, or we're not devouring the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God, we become food for demonic spirits. I'm going to build on that. If you don't believe me, just grab some Bible software, put beasts of the field, put sheep, put, put uh, shepherds in there, and you see all throughout Scripture where you start to see exactly what I'm saying is connecting in every passage where that word, beast of the field, is. You'll start to see this very same thing. Look at this, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent, who's the serpent? How do y'all know? That's a symbol. Where does it say that? I need to know your book, your chapter, and your verse, because only the Bible interprets itself. Where is that? Look at this, Revelations 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called... And Satan, who deceived the whole world. You guys are seeing symbols. You're probably just skimming right over them. And God's trying to bring you back into them and saying, hey, hone in right here a little bit. Don't try to do your religious reading. Let me show you and guide you through Scripture and let me bring some truth into your life. Meditate on my word a little bit because I need to green you up a little bit. I need to give you some ryegrass in winter and a little bit of Bermuda in summer. That's green. It's green in those those people. (laughs) I got two country on them, Miss Nagini, Tony. So you don't have to think things up in God's word and try to think, well, man, I think that means this or that means this. No, God really interprets his word himself. If you'll just follow him, he'll track with you and he'll show you, here's what this means over here. Follow me through my word over here. Remember this, whenever Satan fell, who did he take with him? He took a third of the angels, right? Who are the angels? These are, we know them as fallen angels. We also know them as demonic spirits. They have become the demonic spirits on earth, here and now, right here. And that's, that's the ones he's talking about when he's talking about beasts of the field. We're going to build on this even still. So de- fallen angels, demonic spirits, beasts of the field. Let me finish Genesis 3.1 and see if you see something for the first time. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any any animal out there? No. Of all the demonic spirits, Satan was the most cunning one, which the Lord God had made. What do you mean the Lord God? Yeah, he made the angels. He didn't, he, he didn't lord over them and make control of them. He didn't, give us, he didn't just say, hey, I'm going to control you. He gives us free will, doesn't he? Lucifer got to choose. And so did every angel that was following him. He got to choose. And that's why they were cast out. And here they are. 
And that's why we have assignment. That's why each and every one of us have assignment on our lives. That's why God created us on purpose with purpose. Ephesians 2.10. Check it out. Now we read Satan is even more cunning than all these fallen angels. Now in Ezekiel, we just read that when the people of God aren't fed the word of God, they become food for all the beasts of the field. That's, that's what scripture just said. So when we're not getting the word of God, and when I'm not feeding you the word of God in truth and in love, then I'm making you susceptible to be food for demonic spirits out there. I have a great responsibility on this platform to make sure I'm delivering the word of God in truth. But we co-labor together because I need you doing that every day in your own personal lives too. Because in not doing, you're saying, I'd rather be food for demonic spirits, the beasts of the field on earth. You're saying yes to something. This is an exciting, this is a very exciting book. There's a lot of cool stuff in here. It's really fun when you start to open it up and kind of dive into it and just say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Show me the truth in your word. Open my eyes so that I may see the truths in your word. Let him do it. Let him take you on a tour. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days? Y'all remember that one? He was in the wilderness 40 days. What, what, he, what Scripture also tells us is that Satan was right there with him that 40 days. And not only that, it also says, tells us that Satan's homeboys were with him that 40 days. You want to see it? Look, Mark 1.13 says this, 1.13 says this, And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. You probably never saw that. And was with the wild beasts. So look at this. And the angels ministered to him, big H being Jesus. So here you have Satan, the tempter, and all, his, all the spiritual forces with him. Because whenever you come up against Jesus, you're going to bring your best team, right? You're not going to be B team or C team. You're bringing everybody team. While you have on the other side, clearly right there, Jesus is here. And there's the angels ministering to him. So right there, Scripture is telling us... Satan, not only being there, but his demonic spirits were all around him too. Interesting picture. Your Bible, I'm telling you, is very much a live spiritual book. Remember Jesus said, I, I, I speak in parables? He also said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. When did Jesus see the Father speaking in parables? Let me show you. Psalms 78.2, this is God the Father speaking. I will open my mouth in a parable. Psalm 78, 2. He literally says it. Not only there, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you over the summer, the whole Old Testament is a parable. It's the truth. It really did happen. But God orders things in such a way where he's giving us spiritual meanings out of a natural existence and a natural happening. We're going to show you how how in the Old Testament, every story, every aspect of it show us what's going on in the Spirit in our times, in the New Testament times. In fact, those who are prophetic in here, you probably see life happenings right now, and you see that that's a parable for something prophetic that's happening or about to happen. All through the Old Testament, Jesus saw his Father speak and set up natural things in spiritual, spiritual parables. Look at this, Mark 4, 2 through 4. Then he taught them many things by parables. And he said to him, them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, 
And it happened as he sowed that some seed, that's a symbol, fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air, wonder what they could mean, came and devoured it. Now, does that mean the robins and the blue jays came and devoured the seed that the sower threw on the... No? Okay. Mark, look, at, look let's, let's listen, he said, okay? So the disciples asked him, what does this mean? I don't understand the seed and these birds of the air. Where are these birds? How come I don't see them? Later on in Mark 4, 13 and 15, it says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? Guys, I really, if I could, if I could just be a teacher right now and say I want to give you an assignment for this week, I want you to go to Mark 4 and I want you to study prayerfully and in a meditative state this parable right here and you may see i believe god will show you here's why you haven't seen these things and here's how you see these things i promise you if you allow god to lead you through this parable mark 4 he'll begin to open your eyes to spiritual things he'll start to address things answer questions and start to show you here's how you see it because Unless we understand this parable, how will we understand any of the parables? But the answer is in Mark 4. The answer is in Mark 4. All right. The, he continues. He says, and he said to them, what I just read. Then he says, the sower sows the word. That's the symbol. That's the meaning. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown when they hear... Satan, where, where did he say Satan before? When they hear, thank you, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. It's alive. Look at this in Deuteronomy, Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28, 25 through 26. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth your carcasses will be food for the, all the birds of the air and the, bird, and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. Who's the food? Those who are not meditating on the word of God and who are not being delivered the truth of the word of God, who are not spending time in the word of God, they're the food. And scripture clearly says, who's going to come and eat them? These are people, he was addressing a disobedient people, a people who would not adhere to the truths of the word of God in their lives, and they knew it. They knew it. They knew to do this, but instead they chose disobedience to do this. And he says, you're going to go in one way and flee out seven ways. Think about this number seven. Hold on to that. And then he says, the, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field are going to eat your carcass. You're going to be food. Disobedience. This chosen disobedience. Look at this. God, number three, God has a plan. That's the good news. God has a plan. Y'all remember, and if you don't, I'm going to bring you into perspective. In Daniel 4, old Nebi, Nebuchadnezzar, the king Nebuchadnezzar, and he had this dream. He had this dream, and, and no one in the land could interpret it. And they said, I think I know somebody. There's a man who hasn't given his way to anybody except for God. And his name is Daniel. And so they said, bring in this Daniel. 
And Daniel was able to, tra- to translate, interpret this word. Why? Because this was a spiritual dream, and Daniel's just a spirit. So he could connect. He understood. But look, there's more. When Nebi finishes about the tree, he's talking about this tree. Daniel says, oh, no problem, it's you. You ever had anybody just kind of confront you and like, okay, here's, the, here's what's going on in my life. Oh, yeah, here's your problem right here. Usually they're prophetic. They're, they're being kind, but they're, they're being straightforward because that's how prophets are. They're straight point, straight to the point. You want people in your life that are going to speak like that into you so that you can be sharp to move on away from that. But look at this. Babylon is actually a picture of the world and the church. So Babylon, what happened there was Israel, Jews, God's people, God's church. Who is the church? God's people. So they were taken, God's people, the church, was taken into captivity for 70 years, brought into Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah, the prophet, tried to send warning. That prophet that spoke directly said, this is what's going to happen for 70 years. Nah, ain't going to happen. Boom, here it happens. For 70 years, the church is brought into bondage. And they're intermingling. They're saying, you know what, if we're going to be here, we might as well live it up and live this life out. And over time, the church was mingling with the culture of the world. And when God freed the people, Israel freed his people, the church, they didn't want to leave. They didn't want to leave. You know how many left? 10%. Only a remnant. 90% stayed in Babylon and said, no, I kind of like this stuff. I know I'm the church, but I kind of like the culture around here. 10% left and went back to restore Israel. There's more on that because God can do a lot with 10%. All through Scripture, you track it. God can do amazing things with 10%. In fact, this 10% blessed the whole 90%. This 10%... What they did in their commitment, all Jews are blessed. You know that? All all Jews are blessed. Even the 90 that stayed behind, the church that stayed behind, mixed in the culture of the world, sinning, living in disobedience, though they they were oppressed by the work of the enemy, they were blessed because of what the 10% did. Hold on to that thought. So this tree, I want you to grab it. Babylon is a mixture of the church and the world. It's mixed. So this tree that's growing up is a mixture. It's a worldly church. All right. Daniel 4.10 through 15 says, These were the visions of my head while on my bed. He was a poet, too. I was looking and behold a tree. This is old Nebi speaking. A tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great and the tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was good for food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. Boy, The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Notice it doesn't say the spirit. All spirits were fed from it. It says all flesh. Don't you you just think about all the symbolism you just saw in this, the worldly church. Notice it doesn't say spirit. It says flesh. Verse 13 says, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, 
chop down the tree and cut off its branches, hold on to branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches nevertheless leave the stump. Spiritual eyes being open right now, spiritual ears starting to hear some things. God's cleaning house on his church maybe. He's trying to get out of this this demonic forces that have taken over the church and the church is mixed in with the world and taking on the rules and the, the ideology of the culture and saying, hey, you know what? We don't have to abide by the word of God in those areas. That's just old stuff. Let's do this according to what culture says. Sound anything familiar? Sound anything like we're repeating history? Okay, when they were going into bondage, the prophet Amos, Amos 5, look in Amos 5, the prophet Amos says this, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. Mathematicians, there's 10% there. And, the, and he says, and that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten, shall have, sorry, sorry, shall have ten left in the house of Israel. He's sitting there declaring it while this was happening. He knew there's going to be a time come when 90% is going to want to stay and only 10% are going to want to go. He knew it. Isaiah also prophesies this about this same event. He goes into the temple, and you know this verse. You know one part of this verse, but you probably don't remember the context of it. He goes into the temple, and the Lord appears to him, and the Lord says, Who will go in for us? Meaning the Trinity, us the Trinity. And he says, you know, you know it, here am I, Lord, choose me, send me. We've probably said this before in our prayer time. We've probably been kind of touched by something. Here I am, Lord, send me. Send me, Lord. I'll be the one that goes and does this thing. Use me, Lord. We, all, we probably all know that little thing right there. Then God says, okay, I'm going to send you to a people who have ears, but they cannot hear. They, they have eyes, but they cannot see. Remember, Rick talked about sight last week. And their hearts are dull, and they won't repent. That's what the Lord said to him. <clears throat> Isaiah goes this. <clears throat> he goes, uh, Lord, how long? <laughs> He goes, send me, Lord, send me, I want to go. Oh, they won't listen to you, they won't see anything you have to say, and they won't ever repent. Oh, how long am I going to have to be there? It's interesting, the shift all of a sudden when God starts to hear, here, give me some, let me give you some clarity on this assignment. We're all passionate whenever it's talking about, yes, use me. Well, here's what you're going to have to do. So he gets called into ministry. Isaiah is called into ministry. He's all excited. Here I am, Lord. Choose me. Oh, yeah. You, they won't listen to you. They'll sit there and look at you, but they won't hear a thing you have to say. There will be no change in their life. You'll probably get a lot more rebellion out of them than anything. Oh. Well, I'm not so sure I'm called to ministry anymore. Wow, God, why would you do that? Why would you send me into a place that's going to challenge me so much? Look it up, I promise you. Isaiah 6.11. Isaiah 6.11. He says it. And God responds saying, until I chop down the tree. That's how long you're going to be there. Until I chop down the tree, he says, but I want to leave the stump. Look at this, Isaiah 6.13, following that. But yet a tenth will be in it. He chopped down 90% of it, and he left a tenth. And will return and be for consuming 
as a terebinth tree or as an oak. Those who return, they're going to be strong. They're going to be solid. That 10%, es muy fuerte en español. Whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. What's the stump? The holy seed. What God wants to remain, he wants to cut out the, the culture of the church that's blended with the world. And all he wants is that sanctified, that purified, that oak of those who are committed to him. Because he knows he can do far more with those who are truly committed to him than he can with something that's lush, allowing beasts of the field, birds of the air to live in it and to supply it and give it food. When he's saying, no, I want to do something and I want to do something strong, I'm going to cut everything else and I'm gonna, out and I'm going to start over with this. He's saying that to you. He's saying that to you. In other words, true believers, the remnant, will remain when God brings judgment in this earth too. Ezekiel 31.6 says, All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its branches. Remember, its broths, which are broths, which are broths, which are branches. Look, here it is. Under its branches, remember I told you to hold on to branches. All the beasts of the field brought, brought forth their young, and in its shadows all great nations made their home. We're talking about a worldly church. Where did the birds nest? Where have you heard branches before? John 15, ring a bell to anybody? I am the vine. And you're the branches. And where do the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, where do they rest and nest? In the branches. He's cleaning the house, guys. He wants the people he can really, he wants, he wants the people he can do some stuff with and do some stuff through. He's addressing us through symbolic, parabolic language, even in the Old Testament. He's saying, hey, look deeper. I'm trying to bring this to now. I'm trying to bring this to right now. He's not talking about literal birds. He's not talking about, he's not talking about this. So you have this worldly church of all great nations. Get this. This is free. Solomon had a thousand wives. That is not a good thing, guys. He had a thousand wives, and he knew better. He, he, he had all the wisdom, understanding. He knew better, but instead... He submitted and he took on their gods and on a hill east of Israel he set up shrines and, and altars to their gods so that they could be worshipped. 970 years later there was a house on this same hill and the, the house belonged to Caiaphas. Let me see if this starts to ring any bells. And there was a man named Judas that went in to sell another man named Jesus on this same hill that, that Solomon had created altars to other gods in this house east of Israel. On this same hill, Judas sells Jesus. And now today, you want to know what's on that hill? The United Nations building. This hill is called the Hill of Evil Counsel. So I, I just want to challenge us to pray heavily when it comes to dealings with Israel, because I can tell you, United Nations is not so fond of Israel, in case you didn't know. Do you know why? This has been going on for thousands of years. 
on that hill, the hill of evil counsel. You see the parabolic language that's coming out of this and the spiritual truth is like, wow, this is bigger than my little world that I live in. I, tra I trap myself in. This is big. I need to open my eyes a little bit and I need to figure out what's going on. I need to realize I've got a duty. I've got a calling. I've got a purpose. I can't just sit by and let life happen to me. I've got to take it. That was free anyway. Revelations 18, 1 and 2 says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated He's not talking about the Robins, the Cardinals, and the Blue Jays that are outside your window. Don't start going out with your shotgun and shooting everyone out. Demon down, demon down. Don't do it. <laughs> and for all you bird lovers, listen, no, we're not talking about those birds you watch and that you love to feed on your, outside on your porch. They're not demons. He's not talking about literal birds. He's using a literal thing to bring out a spiritual reality. All right? Matthew 12, 43 and 45 says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put into order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits. Remember, God said, if you come, those who are disobedient, they know God's word, but they're not willing to listen to God's word. You'll go in one way, but you'll flee out seven. And when he comes in, he finds it empty, clean, swept, put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. So a man, a woman, can clean up their act all they want, and they can get really start to look really good. But unless they're filled with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, when they get tempted and they go back into that very thing they cleaned themselves up from, it's going to be seven times worse than it was before. Let me bring it down to your personal level. You ever met anybody, known anybody close to you? Maybe have you ever been in that place? When you quit doing something, you cleaned yourself up, but you didn't fill yourself up with the Word of God the Holy Spirit. You didn't let Jesus do the work for you. And boy, when you got tempted, you went back to that old thing, and it was a lot heavier of a bondage than it ever was before. Anybody? I know many, unfortunately. I've got family members that are there doing so good. But boy, whenever, whenever Satan dangled that little carrot in front of them, they took it again worse off than they were the previous 30 years. It's sad. But Jesus is saying it, and I'm telling you right now, it's the truth. You don't want to mess with it. You don't want to mess with it. You don't want to miss either this summer series, the summer of freedom, wild and free is what I'm calling it personally. You don't want to miss it because we're going we're gonna to show you how to live this fulfilled Christian life, how to, how to live this overcoming life. And, and you can't live that life until you drive out the demons and you get a little discipleship in you. I promise you, you don't want to miss this.
Let's look at an Old Testament verse, Deuteronomy 7, 22. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be, an, you will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field come too numerous for you. Your discipleship, your freedom, your healing, it's little by little. If God allowed it all at once, he's saying it. You don't have the perseverance yet. You don't have the endurance. You don't have the strength. You haven't been discipled enough. You haven't discipled yourself enough. You haven't spent enough time in the word of God to overcome the temptations from the beast of the field, the demonic spirits that are out there. And he doesn't want you to be tempted beyond your strength to where you grab a hold of that thing that you were once doing and it become worse than it was before. Sometimes the opportunity to overcome bondage is the grace that you need to grab a hold of and give you the strength to say, no, I'm getting over this thing right here. I'm done with this bondage right here. This will no longer have authority in my life. I have authority over this thing. And we have to get our minds right to be able to walk in that because you've got to be focused. You've got to be sincere, and you've got to take ownership of your own life if any of that is ever going to happen. We got to get responsible. God is gracing us in the season that we're in to overcome the very things that we're struggling with. And I'm telling you, I want you to pull away from this whole series with one thing. This is a spiritual book written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings. The answer to your situation is right here. And I hope you desperately get hungry, desperately get hungry for the Word of God. Yesterday, this week, I was kind of stirred up when I heard the, the, the tornadoes through Canton. A friend of mine, two friends of mine, were literally, they had to run from the tornado. They saw it going 120 miles an hour down the road. They outran it and were able to get home, and thankfully for them, it went a different direction. So that kind of stirred me up, and I just started saying, Lord, what do you say? Lord, what do you say? And then we're, we're leaving Chile. And we're, we're coming home, and I noticed when we left, there was a heck of a lot of turbulence in the air. And Ellie was like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, like for a while. And then a friend texts me yesterday and says there was, a, there was a tornado in Chile. So I researched this, and it's extremely rare to have a tornado in Chile. A lot of earthquakes, but extremely rare. And not only, it was the City of Angels. Los Angeles, Chile is where this tornado was. Extremely rare, the city of angels. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, you got my attention on the Wednesday tornado. And now there was a Thursday tornado as I was heading to the airport. And we flew through turbulence. What are you saying? What are you saying? So I sat there yesterday morning. And here's what I felt like the Lord said to me. Take it as you want, but I'm going to give it. I feel like God is saying this. He's saying the chaos of this world is stirring fast. It's twisting the truth and wrecking, wreaking havoc. My people are being taken by confusion and losing priority. They aren't giving. They aren't serving. They aren't bearing one another's burdens. 
This is causing chaos in the body and exhaustion on those who are. I provide through provision, he says. We're in blessed times. And the very work that we have is provision from him. He provides us with all things that we have. He wants to take care of his church by providing for you. And he's asking you, remember what he can do with the 10%? Will you return back to me what belongs to me is what he says. Malachi 3. Not a parable. It's truth. He can do far greater things with 10% than you can ever imagine. He says it's time to put things back in order. Love, grace, mercy, giving, sharing. The world is trying to twist away my values, twist any values and distort the understanding of my people. I build my church and I use my people. Our returning the tithe, giving and faithful serving in love, this is me, is God's main avenue of providing to his church, the local church, and the local to international people in need. Now, that's all scripture. I can back that up 100% with all scripture. God will never give you a word that contradicts his, his written word. And culture today says those are old truths and they have no application today. But God's word stands throughout eternity. And he says to return the, the tithe to the storehouse, and that's where you get fed. And he is the one who's providing provision so that you can actually have provision to be able to live on. And let me tell you, he can give, do a lot more with that 90% that you keep by returning what belongs to him. Remember, those who belong to him are the ones who return. That 10%, there's a perfect picture for you. They return back to Israel, and they blessed all of Israel. And that 10% that we return back to God because he provides provision and he provides blessing will bless the other 90% and make it go longer and farther than you can imagine. And those who, he says also, he calls us to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens. And many of us have been, I'm not talking about the six weeks or the six months. You need rest or you need to be, have some restoration. You need to be strengthened in the Lord. Do that, but get back in the game when it's done. Because what's happening is right now is the rest of the body is being exhausted, being taxed, because the, here we're blessed. We have about 20 to 25% serving the 75%. But that's a big margin of only 25% of our people who are serving, and they're exhausted, they're taxed, but their heart is to serve the Lord and to serve others, and they're wondering when are other people going to get in this game, and they're not saying it. You know how Satan keeps his leadership exhausted? By keeping the others, the, the, the saints who are called to do the work of the ministry by keeping them sitting on the sidelines. This is why church after church fails, after pastor after pastor fails, because they're trying to do the work of the ministry that the saints are called to do and the pastors are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Do you see the trick? You see, you see what Satan has done. But God's grace is sufficient. And he gives us a new day. And he restores our soul. Some of us just need to draw near, meditate, delight in his word. Because we'll be like a, a tree that's planted near rivers of living water. And if you're struggling today, it may be time to draw near, to delight in the word. 
I actually want, to, want you to take a response card home with you today and pray over it and say, Lord, how can I get involved? Where are you calling me to? We'll get you plugged in. We'll get some of these other people a break. They'll get one less weekend a month. <laughs> we have Equip Track today, immediately following the, the, the 1045 service. I would love to see I would love to see that equip track filled. I would love to see that we don't have enough booklets. We just got to make some copies. We got to figure it out. Because people are saying, I'm getting in the game. I would love, maybe you can say, I need to go back through that. Go. Go. You don't have to register. Just go. Show up. Tell Shauna, hey, I'm going. Financial freedom. Man, I don't know how I, don't know how I can return back to God this, this 10%. I'm so over, overbooked in my finances. I started using the seed that, that was supposed to be sown for, for income, for interest. I started eating it as my bread. That's scripture right there. We get increase. God blesses us because of obedience. Then all of a sudden, we get spoiled, and we quit our returning. We quit our giving. We quit trusting God. And he says, test me now in this. And then our, our bills, our expenses get dependent on that increase, maybe that little extra overtime, and then all of a sudden that overtime's not there anymore. But our bills don't stop. Financial freedom, June 9th, four weeks. We're going to get you out of there. We're going to help prepare you for Christmas because it's coming. And I know what happens. The tithe goes down and the gifts go up. We're robbing from God to do what we think is right things. But God will provide all of those gifts if we'll maintain our returning back to him what belongs to him. There's a symbol in this. Where your treasure is, so too is your I want to pray for you. Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you for every heart in here that is being challenged, even my own, because, Lord, I want to go deeper. I want more, and I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I won't be satisfied with a plateau in my spiritual life. I won't be satisfied by leaving, leading people in plateau. I'll only be satisfied if you change my heart, change my perspective, and you take me deeper and I take people with me. Father, I just break the power of condemnation that Satan, who has led your people into a place, he is now condemning them, trying to use my words to condemn them. We cancel that right now in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we just ask, what are you saying? What do you have to say to your people? In a moment, I'm going to have my prayer team come forward and I'm going to invite you. If you need prayer for anything, anything, don't hesitate. But Father, I just pray for an extra measure of grace over every heart. I pray that you help them to focus, laser focus on the one thing this week that you're asking them to change for your sake, to blend, to, to stop the blending and get unmixed before they have to get cut down into humility to come out of the culture and stop letting culture define who they are and start letting the Word of God define who you say they are. So come, Holy Spirit. Strengthen, revive, refresh, and give focus to your people this week. And Holy Spirit, I ask you open them up Open their spiritual eyes, open their spiritual ears as they read through Mark 4 this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Guys, let's just stand up. Let's worship God for who he is.
Remember, as we sang in the beginning this, we raise our hallelujahs. We love God because he first loved us.